Well, it's been several weeks since I spoke to you last from here, and um, one of the questions I faced as I was preparing uh, to begin communicating again as your pastor was where to begin, where, where, where should I pick up? And ultimately what I decided is I should pick up where I left off. We had been back in August in a series of, of uh, uh, talks looking at the first letter that Paul wrote to a church in Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica was a small uh, community, a Christian community that Paul had founded in Greece, and um, uh, we had been looking at it, and uh, that's where we left off in August. Um, and we know, uh, we'd seen some of this already, but we know also from the, the the Acts of the Apostles that they were facing some troubles. In the, in the Acts of the Apostles, the evangelist Luke tells us there that, that they had faced um, ethnic and racial unrest. There had been mob violence. There had been rioting. And there was a harsh response from the govern, governing authorities that only made things worse. We also know that that the, the government uh, there in Thessalonica, the, the municipal authorities, had imposed sanctions, economic sanctions on, the, on the, the Christian community there. So we know of some of the troubles, but we don't know exactly what they all are. That's simply a, a very brief sketch that's given to us in Acts 17. But as we pick up the story in, um, in uh, verse 13 of chapter 4, it looks as if things have actually gotten worse since then because Paul begins in verse 13 by saying, we want you to know about the people who have died. And Luke didn't tell us anything in the book of Acts about people who had died. Now we know from earlier in this letter, Paul talks about how after he had been expelled from from Thessalonica, the, the authorities had kicked him out of town and made them promise that he wouldn't come back. So Paul couldn't go back, but he sent back Timothy, his traveling companion, Timothy. And Timothy probably came back with the bad news that, that somebody had died, or maybe some group of people. We don't know who they, they were. We don't know how many of them there were. Um, and we don't know how they died. Uh, it could have been uh, continued violence and rioting, um, or it could have been, you know, ordinary death that, that, that we face, uh, the, the, the ordinary things of life, accidents and disease. Um, childbearing, uh, probably it's too soon for it to be old age, but we don't know the nature of the community, so maybe somebody was already advanced in years at that time. But but it seems unlikely that Paul is talking uh, hypothetically. I'm just going to give you some information out of the blue about people who have died. Um, he's speaking to people who are hurting because because they had problems already, and now it appears they've gotten worse because uh, someone or some group of people uh, from their community have died, and so he wants to communicate with them about what what their the faith tells uh, people in circumstances where things are bad. And as we as we reflect on this list of problems that the the church in Thessalonica is dealing with, um, it sounds at least I hear some some similarities to our own situation in 2020. We've had a bad year ourselves. I mean, I don't know if it's um, the worst year since since uh, the, this letter was written, but we've had a bad year. We we began with the pandemic and then the, the shutdown and all of the economic effects of the shutdown. And then after uh, the end, of, around the end of uh, May, we had the the death of George Floyd and, and others um, and the protests about police violence. We've had uh, rioting um, in, in many cities. Um, and then more recently, at the end of the summer, we had the wildfires and electrical outages. We've had um, 
hurricanes, um, and then of course the the steady drumbeat of of uh, political uh, uh, rivalry and the election politics that have been so divisive this year, and now a Supreme Court fight, and we still have a quarter of the year to go. I'm reminded there's an episode of The Simpsons where where Bart is having a bad time, and he says, "This is the worst. This is the worst day of my life." And Homer says to him, "No, it's the worst day of your life so far." And so, I don't I don't want to even guess what might still await us in the coming quarter of a year. And I don't think Paul was was somehow writing a, a special coded message just for the year 2020. I think there have been many people down through the centuries who have looked to this passage and said, you know, our situation's not identical, but there's some similarities. And I, I'm curious to see what Paul told them that encouraged them in the face of all their troubles because we've got troubles of our, of, of our own. And I think that that's, that's the way that we can look at this passage. We can be curious to say, what was it Paul said to the church in Thessalonica? What was it that gave them encouragement in the face of their troubles? And so, so Paul says, um, in verse 13, he says, um, we want you to know about people who've died. Why? Um, so that you won't mourn. Or in particular, you won't mourn like others who don't have any hope. Paul knows that there's no way people who have lost someone are going to mourn. And Paul says, says, we don't want you to mourn like those who have no hope. So what does he mean by hope? What is hope? Well, he tells us that in chapter 14. What is, what is Christian hope? He says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose, we believe that God will bring with him, bring with him. He's referring to the, the core of our hope, which is that Jesus was raised by God and that he will come again, that, that history is going someplace, that, that this age is not the end of the story, that, that Jesus will return at some point, we don't know when, Jesus will return at some point to complete the work of salvation, that, that, um, that, that what we're, what we're looking forward to is an end to all the sources of pain and trouble and sorrow in this world. And we know that they are going to continue until Jesus returns. And so he says, he says, um, Jesus will bring with him those who have died in Jesus, that Jesus has been raised and he's returning. And when he comes, he will bring with him those who have died in Jesus. And then in verse 15, he says, and in fact, this is not simply for Paul, at least. It's not simply a belief. It's like, that's what I think is happening. Paul says, we are saying a message from the Lord. We who are alive and still around at the Lord's coming definitely won't go ahead of those who have died. He says, he says, actually, those who have died will go to the front of the line, that those who are still alive will actually have to wait their turn behind the people who have died. He said, um, he said, uh, we who, who are alive and still around at the Lord's coming definitely won't go ahead of those who have died. This is because, verse 16, because the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the signal of a shout by the head angel and a blast on God's trumpet. And first, those who are dead in Christ will rise. This is why we don't have any, any concern, or we, we, we certainly grieve, but we don't have any fear for the people who have died. They, they have not been forgotten. They will not be, um, ignored when, when Christ returns and the new age is ushered in. He says, those who, 
are dead in Christ will rise first. And only then, verse 17, only then we who are living and still around will be taken up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That way, we will always be with the Lord. So in this age to come, the age that Jesus will inaugurate when he returns, um, we will always be with the Lord. Not only we who are alive at that moment, but those who have already died. Um, and then he says, so encourage each other with these words. Encourage those who are grieving that that as, as terrible as the death of, of your loved one is, you can encourage them with these words. So what about the people who are still alive? When when is this going to happen? Essentially, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm if I have died, then my problems are pretty much over. I'll be with the Lord, and and He'll bring me with uh, bring me with Him when He comes. But what about those of us who haven't died yet? What do we do? Because remember, there's still trouble in Thessalonica. He says, we don't need to write you about the timing and dates, brothers and sisters. You know very well the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. That Jesus, Jesus himself stressed this, that the day of the Lord would come unexpectedly. There'd be no way to predict it. That, that, uh, there, there may be cranks who will figure, you know, they've done the math and they've calculated what day it's going to occur. But Jesus said, no, they're wrong. Nobody is going to be able to predict this. It will come like a thief in the night. So, so, um, so we don't know when it's going to be. It'll be whenever Jesus returns. So what do you do in the meantime? How do we behave in the meantime? He said, he says, he says, we should essentially act like sentries. We should be watchful. We should, we should watch for it to come and not give up hope. So he gives two examples of this. He says in verse three of chapter five, he says, when they are saying there is peace and security at that time, sudden destruction will attack them like labor pains start with a pregnant woman. The the picture here is um, you know a, a sentry who who is you know on duty and and hears a sound over there and and he decides ah that's nothing that's that's you know peace and security that that's nothing to worry about over there or if you're asleep in bed and you hear a sound somewhere else in the house and you're thinking should I get up and investigate um, and you go nah don't worry about it I've got an alarm system uh, there's peace and security I don't have to worry about that that thing I just heard that thing that alerted me. So he's saying, don't be like that. That's not a good kind of sentry. You don't want to be that kind of sentry. So he says um, that that uh, that that's one way we can be a bad sentry. And he says he says that um, we are like sentries uh, as as we kind of we are awake. We aren't in darkness, brothers and sisters. So the day won't catch us by surprise like a thief. He says, we, he says, you, um, you, uh, so, so we as Christians aren't in darkness. The day won't catch us by surprise because we are alert and on duty. We're actually paying attention. We're not saying peace and security and turning over and going back to sleep. We are alert. He says, we are children of light and children of the day. We don't belong to night or darkness. So then let's not sleep like the others. Let's stay awake and stay sober. And then here he gives in verse 7 the second type of, of error that a sentry can make, which is not to take the job seriously. He says, people who sleep, sleep at night. So some people just roll over and go back to sleep. But he says, other people, um, who, people who get drunk, get drunk at night. So they distract themselves. They busy themselves. They, they do something, you know, they have fun and frivolity. They enjoy themselves, but they're not taking their, their work seriously. They don't see what they're doing as really having any significance. So they're, they're kind of phoning it in. They're, they're drunk 
they are not treating their jobs soberly. So he says, since we belong to the day, let's stay sober. Now's not the time for that kind of merriment and enjoyment because, because people who get drunk get drunk at night. And we're not, we're not children of night. We're children of the day. So he says, since we belong to the day, let's stay sober. Wearing faithfulness and love as a piece of armor that protects our body and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So he says, we have, uh, as he said before, earlier in this letter, back in chapter one, he talked about faith and, and, um, love and hope. And he says, these are the things that, that we have with us as centuries as we wait for, um, the coming of the Lord, w- whether it's, whether it's uh, later today or, or in 500 years. We don't know when it will be, but we have got this equipment. What is the equipment? Faithfulness and love as armor and, um, a piece of, uh, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So remember the, the, the hope we have is that Jesus is going to return. He will complete the work of salvation. This is not all there is. History is actually going somewhere better. That the future in, in the age to come will be better than the world is today. That Jesus is going to effect that salvation completely when he returns. So that's our hope. And faithfulness is that, is that we trust, we trust that Jesus can do what he promised to do. That he is who he said he, he is. And he can do the things he promised to do. And, and, and the evidence we have for that is his resurrection. That God raised him. And so we know God can raise us too. So we have, we have evidence uh, that, that gives us confidence and our hope. So the hope is is that thing we're waiting for, and faithfulness is what we're what what holds us um, uh, lets us hold on to that hope. So he says, God did not intend for us to suffer His wrath, but rather to possess salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That that when Jesus returns, we don't have to worry about you know we're going to get judged and and uh, you know thrown into to perdition or something like that. He says, he says, God does not intend for us to suffer wrath, but rather to possess salvation. And the guarantee of that is that Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, and he doesn't mean like sleep drunk, sleep sentry duty sleep. He's talking now about the kind of sleep. He's, this is a, this is a euphemism. He's saying, he's saying whether we have died or whether we are still alive. He says, whether we are asleep or awake, we will live together with him, whether we have already died or whether we have woken. Uh, so Paul uses these metaphors and we have to track with him. So he says, Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are still alive when he returns or whether we have died, we will live together with him in the age to come. So what do we do as centuries? What do we do as sober Christians in this time, we continue encouraging each other and building each other up, just like you're already doing. So, we encourage each other and build each other up, just like we are already doing. This is one of uh, the places, there, there's uh, several others in the, the New Testament where we read specifically about the events of the uh, of the. Um, the second coming when Jesus returns, uh, it's things where we learn about what life will be like in the, in the age to come. It's one of a number of places that really articulate in, in just a small space, uh, what our Christian hope is and, and the grounds for our Christian hope, why we have faith. Um, and 
So because of it, this is one of many places that preachers turn to for um, for for uh, to, to to reassure people at a funeral. So um, if I uh, I have I have one of these. I'm a I'm a preacher, and I've got a um, preacher book. This is the Book of Common Worship Pastoral Edition, and it's got uh, it's got the words I use for for weddings and funerals, and when I'm at the hospital, sometimes if I if there's just nothing else I can say, um, sometimes I will I will uh, look at this when I'm visiting people. So we've got we've got our little uh, our little book, and one of the things that's in here is this passage that. Um, First Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 13. Um, and, and we have this because it is very convenient to have it handy in our book. We don't have to carry two books with us uh, uh, to the graveside or things like that. So this is a funeral text, and it's, it's not um, uncommon for pe- preachers to use it. What is uncommon is for preachers to study it that the nature of the service for uh, of witness to the resurrection is that we don't get to schedule those. I know Sunday's coming, but I don't know when the next funeral's coming. It may come very quickly. And in a way, it's kind of like that thief in the night that Paul talks about. We don't know always when they're going to occur. And so we don't have the luxury of spending a lot of time studying these passages. And honestly, the congregation isn't looking to be informed as much as it is to be reassured. So when we have a funeral service, people will put up with a little bit of, you know, interesting fact I learned while studying this passage, but they won't put up with a lot because that's really not the purpose of a funeral service. So, so for, for both reasons, it's, it's not, um, uncommon for, uh, these passages to, to not be studied as well as they might be, that preachers just don't have the time and the congregation is not as interested. And so, when I was planning out this series of messages, when I began looking at First Thessalonians with the hope of, of having this whole conversation, one of the things I was looking forward to is a chance to actually dig into this passage and learn about, you know, what are, what, what Paul meant when he talked about the, um, the hope or children of day and children of night and things like that to really dig into the passage and, and get more of the content that we don't always have time for in a funeral service. And so, on Wednesday, August 19th, I spent the entire day reading this passage. I uh, dug into the Greek. I looked up all of the cross-references that I could uh, find. I read commentaries. I did everything I could to study this passage like a regular passage of Scripture, just something that I could really dig into and make sure I understood as well as possible because I didn't want to simply phone it in and say, I know what that passage is about. And so I did that all day on Wednesday, the 19th of August. And when I left work that day, I was actually looking forward to Thursday because something I've been doing for about a year now, on Thursday, I meet with a couple of people to discuss my my upcoming message. And it's a chance for me to kind of say, here's here's where I think this is going, and I'd like your feedback. And so we have a discussion, and, and people uh, who are part of that discussion will say, okay, I got that, but I think you... You kind of lost me where you used this illustration, and so sometimes it's a way for me to tighten up my message. And so uh, I've been looking forward to that um, for about a year. At first, it was some some it was a challenge to to you know let anybody see my my little my little precious uh, uh, sermon, 
but uh, over time I came to value the, the feedback. And when I, when I began, uh, Marjorie was helping me and uh, Neil, my son Neil, were helping me. Um, but when the coronavirus happened, Marjorie uh, wasn't able to be part of that because you know we weren't we weren't uh, we were all socially distancing and everything. So she she stepped back. Um, but after a couple of weeks, my daughter Iris uh, uh, had to leave college, and they, they closed things down. And so she came home, and uh, I invited her to be part of that discussion group along with her brother Neil. And so we would meet on Thursdays, and we would have that conversation and. All during the spring and summer, um, uh, my, my messages were actually improved by their input. And Iris, in particular, would would fill up a page full of notes as 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 I talked through the the passage. And I was looking forward to hearing her thoughts about this passage, about First Thessalonians chapter four. I'd done the work, and I was looking forward to that conversation with Iris and Neil. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen because on Wednesday the 19th I went home and I found that my daughter had taken her life. And I learned what it feels like when the bottom falls out of your world. When the worst thing, the worst thing possible happens. I learned what that's like. I learned what it truly is to grieve. I, I had mourned. My, my brother passed away a year ago. My father passed away not long before that. My mother died a couple of years before that. My father-in-law has died. I have been, I have been bereaved. But now I truly know what it is to mourn. To mourn like I did not know you could mourn. But as Paul says here, I do not mourn like those who have no hope. I miss my daughter so very, very much. But I am confident that God will bring her with Jesus when he returns to bring to completion the salvation he has already begun. And the faith I have in that is rooted in his own resurrection. I know he won't do anything for Iris that he has not already effected for his son, Jesus. So I have hope and I have faith. But the other thing Paul mentions in this letter is love. And that's why he says, instead of arguing what it exactly it means when Paul talks about being caught up in the air, uh, where we go after we are raptured, instead of saying, this is a profitable place for Christians to argue, he says, encourage each other with these words. And he closes out this section in chapter 5 by saying, so continue encouraging each other and building each other up, just like you are doing already. That faith and hope by themselves are not alone. That they are not enough. That as, as everyone who's been to a funeral, I mean, as everyone who's been to a wedding has heard, 
three things abide, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. We have been so blessed by the love of this congregation. We know you are hurting too, that you grieve, but you do not grieve as those who have no hope. And you have been so loving to us. You have encouraged us in so many ways over the past month. And I want you to know how much it means to us. This has been the worst time I ever imagined, and people have been so very good. We are so grateful for your support. We are so grateful that, as Paul says in this letter, you are encouraging one another with these words, that you are building us up already. Thank you. Let's pray. Loving God, this has been a bad year. This has been a bad year for everyone. And you know how much it has been a bad year for those of us who mourn Iris. And so we grieve. We were already in a fragile place. And we have been broken so much by her death. And we grieve, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Because we do believe that you raised Jesus from the dead and that you will bring her and all the others that we mourn when he returns. We don't know, Lord, if that will be today or if it will be in a thousand years. But we will be sober We will hold on to our faith and the hope of salvation. And Lord, we will love one another and keep on encouraging each other as we've already done. Keep us strong for whatever else this year holds, Lord. Help us to love one another even more. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.